0: you return that I might live
1: In my father's house Someone could actually pay the cost of what was due the person that you had become a slave to because of your inability uh, to pay your debt. And that person was referred to as the Goel Redeemer. Have you ever heard that term before? Anybody? Nobody? Really? Okay. Goel Redeemer. And I want you to think about that. Isn't that exactly
0: what Jesus has done for us? In ancient cultures, people could become a slave in many ways. Sometimes it was simply based off of their place in society due to race or heritage. Other times, people put themselves into slavery out of debt to someone that they were unable to pay by other means. Spiritually, we're born in slavery to sin, and we continue to entrench ourselves into its oppression as we go through life. As Pastor Mike will remind us in today's message, we need redemption, and Jesus offers us that through His sacrifice. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, as he continues his message to the praise of his glory.
1: We used to get all of these phone calls. I remember, uh, and this is mostly in junior high school, and uh, you know, he's going through that tweeny thing, and you know, they're just crazy in in that moment. But uh, I remember sending him off the first day, and the year before, the semester before, the school year before, he had gotten in trouble so many times, right? And I remember the first day my wife and I were sending off, I said, if I get a phone call, you know, from anyone from the school, we're sending him up. This is the first day now, mind you, right? And uh, I'm going to be very upset with you, okay? So off he goes, and the, the very day, and before they dismissed, the very first day, guess what? We got a phone call from the principal, and uh, you ever see these kids walking around with their jeans like halfway down, and they like to show their underwear. They, use, they wear the flannel underwear in the back, and uh, their belt is like down here, Right? <laughs> Bubba, he didn't leave like that. But he was in the class. And I guess he got up. And his pants fell down. And so that was the reason why we got the call. He was standing there in his drawers in front of the whole class. So we got the phone call. And uh, so I don't even know the reason why I have to share. I don't even remember the point that I was trying to make. Uh, Oh, I know. It was at that moment that I would have put him up for adoption if I could have. (laughs) But God is not like that, you see, right? You know. When we're adopted by the Lord, we're adopted forever. That's the point. And of course, it's the same thing with Bubba. We love Bubba. And we just love all of our children. And we're so thankful that, you know, God has been so faithful. And all of my kids are walking with the Lord and are in church and and are serving the Lord, and we're so thankful for that. Praise the Lord for that. In spite of all of the crazy things, and and uh, we're we're very very thankful. So anyway, He has accepted us. How? By His grace, not by our performance. We've been accepted in Jesus Christ, and as long as we are in Him, and, and this is the most important point, you got to stay close to Him. You you, you can't claim to actually be accepted by God, and let's say close to his son, Jesus Christ. And I'll give you the reason why in just a moment. But as long as we are in him, this eternal position never changes. So what do we got to do? We simply need to abide in him. John 15, verses 5 and 6. Here's the cross reference. Jesus, you, you, this is one of the greatest chapters in the Gospels, John 15. It's called the branch and the vine chapter. I am the vine. Jesus is using this as an illustration. He's referring to himself as the vine. The vine through which the plant is sustained. It's through the vine that the water, the vitamins, everything necessary to sustain the plant comes. And so it is in our relationship with the Lord and our communion with God. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me... You can do nothing. So there's nothing to add to God's plan of salvation. We don't have to work to earn this free gift. It's not based upon our performance. We're just simply accepted in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, I love that book of Jude. It's only one chapter uh, long. But there, Jude tells us that in that last day, that he, Christ, is going to present us faultless before his Father with exceeding joy. Not because we are faultless, not because we, we haven't sinned, but when God the Father sees us, he sees us. He, there's an absence of us, and he sees us in, in his Son, Jesus Christ. And that's the basis through which we are accepted. Let's go on. The next gift, verse seven. He has redeemed us. Let's read verse seven. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Now, the word redeem, let's, let's touch on that. Let's talk about what the word redeem means. Basically, it has the implication of we're being purchased. We've been purchased or set free by the pain of a price. Now, I want you to think about this. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And he knew the people, his audience, to whom he was addressing and writing to. you got to understand that at that time that Paul wrote this letter, there were six million slaves in the Roman Empire or throughout the Roman Empire. And they were bought and sold like pieces of furniture. You could do whatever you wanted to them, really, literally. But a person could purchase a slave and decide to set him free. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. You know, there was a variety of different ways where a person could actually find himself becoming a slave. Uh, He might have been born into slavery. His mother and father before him were slaves, unless he was born into uh, that economy. Or, let's say, for example, you owed someone a debt that you were unable to pay, and therefore you were forced into slavery to pay that debt. Now, during which time that you were a slave to a person, at the end of a seven-year period, this was according to the Old Testament law, someone could actually pay the cost of what was due the person that you had become a slave to because of your inability uh, to pay your debt. And that person was referred to as the Goel Redeemer. Have you ever heard that term before? Anybody? Nobody? Really? Okay. Goel Redeemer. And I want you to think about that. Isn't that exactly what Jesus has done for us? You see, there, there, there's a very uh, wide application here, you know, in this illustration. A person could purchase a slave and then decide to set him free. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus is our Goel Redeemer kinsman, redeemer. And think about the tremendous price that he had to pay to set us free. His very own life. He died for us in our place, for our sin, on the cross. Now, there's a wider application than that here. Because this single act of redemption, now remember, under the heading, this is the fourth gift, he has redeemed us. There's a wider application here. And I want you to think about this and what this act of redemption actually accomplished, he freed us from the law. In the book of Galatians, in chapter 5 and verse 1, we are told, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He's referring to the church at Galatia. There were were these uh, false teachers that had come down and were suggesting that you couldn't come into the middle of a process and be saved. Uh, you had to keep the Old Testament law. You had to be circumcised. You had to keep all of the ceremonial uh, diets and such, rather than just simply through your faith in Christ, uh, through the operation of faith in Christ, by grace you are, are saved. And they tried to bring the, the people back into a law relationship with God and so Paul is writing this particular book of the Bible uh, to address what was known as those Judaizers so this act of redemption has freed us from the law but then it's also freed us from the slavery of sin Romans chapter 6 and verses 22 and 23 but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God isn't that great I like the terminology that he uses there. You know, you're either a slave to your flesh and to sin, or to the devil, or you're a slave to God. And what a wonderful bondage it is to be a slave of God, isn't it? It's such a wonderful blessing, really. You have your fruit to holiness, and the end everlasting life. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, the other implication, he's freed us from the slavery of sin. And then lastly, also under this heading, he's freed us from the power of Satan and of the world. Let's go back to Galatians in chapter 1 and verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins, referring to Jesus, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. That's always pulling on us tugging at us telling us that this is where it's at this is where you're going to find fulfillment this is where you're going to find satisfaction the mores of our society and culture you know that that are in opposition to the commitment that we made to Jesus according to the will of our God and Father and then colossians in chapter 1 in verses 13 and 14 in whom that is Christ He has delivered us from the power of darkness, that would be Satan's kingdom, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love, in whom we have redemption, there's the word, redemption, he's redeemed us through his blood, the forgiveness of his sin. Now remember, if we were slaves, we would be poor, but because we are sons and daughters, we are what? We are rich. Let's go on to the next gift. He has forgiven us. Notice there also in verse 7, we are told that he has forgiven us. Now the word forgive literally means to carry away. That's basically what the word forgive means. And isn't that exactly what God has done for us in Christ? You know what this reminds me of? This is, I, I think this would be a good illustration. This reminds me of the ritual that was practiced uh, practiced on the Day of Atonement, that is Yom Kippur, when the high priest would send the scapegoat into the wilderness. And listen, we don't have time to get into it in detail this morning, but again, sometime during the week, read the book of Leviticus in chapter uh, 16. And in this act, the nation's sin, Israel would be translated over unto one of those animals. Here's the the process, the basic process in a nutshell. First, the priest would take one of two goats. He would kill the one, then sprinkle the blood of that animal before God on the mercy seat, and then the other live goat, he would lay his hands upon its head, and he would confess the sin of the nation over the live goat, and then the live goat would then be taken out into the wilderness and let go to be lost forever, to never see it again. So do you you see the analogy between this ritual and the person of Jesus Christ? You see, Jesus died to carry away our sins so that they might never be seen again again. Now John testifies to this when he's baptizing down on the Jordan River, when finally all of a sudden Jesus makes his first appearance, and he refers his disciples over to where Jesus was, and he says, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Who taketh away the sins of the world. John's gospel in chapter 1 and verse 29. He carried away our sin never to be seen again. In the 103rd Psalm, in verse 12, the Bible tells us there, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions or our sins from us. Gang, we have been forgiven. And then also, let's go on here, okay? Let's go on here. The next gift. He has revealed God's will to us. Verses 8 through 10. Let's go on. Verses 8 through 10 which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Now, this letter, as we will discover as we continue to move through it over the next couple of months has a lot to say about God's plan for his people. A plan that was not fully understood even in Paul's day. Notice that word mystery there in verse 9. Go back to our text. See that word mystery there? That word mystery has nothing to do with things that are eerie. It rather means a sacred secret that yes, was once hidden, but now it has been revealed To God's people. So think about it. You're a member of God's inner circle. There were things that the Old Testament prophets didn't even know or understand that we are are now privy to. Man, we're a bunch of privileged characters. Think about it. We know things today in the New Testament that the Old, Old Testament prophets didn't even know because we are now members of God's inner circle. This is just another one of those gifts that God has made available to us. And notice also, according to this text, verses 8 through 10, God will one day unite everything in Christ because sin causes separation and causes things to fall apart. Sin is tearing everything apart. But in Christ, God will gather everything together in the culmination of the ages, and we are a part of this great eternal Program. 1 Peter in chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 puts it this way that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. What a day that's going to be. When Jesus comes back a second time and establishes, first of all, his millennial kingdom before we enter into eternity, there'll be that thousand year reign of Christ. We're going to come back with him. We've already been raptured. The seven years of tribulation would have already taken place upon the earth and at the culmination of the seven years, after, the, you know, uh, we're going to come back and, and he's going to establish his righteous reign upon the earth for a period of a thousand years, which will be followed by eternity. No longer will there be any time continuum. It'll just be e- the eternal now, right? But in that day, how great it's going to be. You know, everything will go back to God's original plan, as was his first design in the Garden of Eden. What a day. Listen, let me tell you something, Christian. You have a bright future to look forward to. I'm excited. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, that's what we've been talking about, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory, which becomes the title of this morning's uh, message, right? And then finally, can we go through the last gift? Then finally, the last gift, verses 11 and 12, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be, and notice he repeats that phrase again, which is the title of this morning's message, to the praise of his glory. Now, that phrase, you know, that the idea of uh, that he has given to us an, an inheritance can also be translated, he made us an inheritance. Both translations would be correct. And the one includes the others. You say, what am I talking about? Well, you see, in Christ, we have an, a wonderful inheritance. All of the gifts and resources that we've already went through, that we will continue to go through. You know, man, this list, we're, we're just you know, scratching the surface here. Okay? But also... I want you to understand that in Christ, we are an inheritance. What am I talking about? You are God's inheritance. In other words, we are valuable to him. He considers you with all of your frailties, inconsistencies, your sin, your ups and downs. You're precious in his sight. As far as God is concerned, you're wonderful. Now, I always knew that you were wonderful, (laughs) right? And God knows that as well. Now, how valuable exactly are you? Well, once again, I would remind you of the tremendous price that He paid to make us His inheritance. And so, God the Son is the Father's gift of love to us, and we are the Father's gift of love to His Son. John's Gospel in chapter 17 and verse 10. Jesus is praying unto the Father, and He says, I pray for them which thou hast given me. We are His inheritance. You see, the church is Christ's body, Christ's building, Christ's bride. Jesus' future inheritance is wrapped up in His church. And that's why in the book of Romans, in chapter 8 and verse 17, we are told, we are joint heirs together with Christ, which means that He Himself Jesus cannot claim his inheritance apart from us. Have you ever thought about that? Wow. So here's the conclusion, all right? And thank you for hanging in there with me. It's been a long Bible study. I understand that. So here's the conclusion. What is the purpose behind the giving of these gifts that we've enumerated for you We've been chosen, we've been adopted, we've been forgiven, we've been redeemed, etc., etc., etc. Well, notice this phrase that's repeated three times in our short text this morning, in verses 6, 12, and 14, that we should be to the praise of His glory. That He might be glorified, that is. That His love and grace might be revealed through all your life through my life but folks it's only the beginning there's always more in him there's always more wealth to claim as we walk with him
0: in my father's house there's a place for me in my father's house where I long Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of In My Father's House as we study the book of Ephesians with Pastor Mike. It's no secret that people can sometimes be messy. So when you put all kinds of people into a church building, there's bound to be problems. For this reason, the Apostle Paul wrote to the people of Ephesus to remind them to remain unified in Jesus. When Jesus remains at the center of your relationships, The body of Christ is so much sweeter. Take Paul's writings to heart and seek to live in unity with those around you. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike or to hear today's message again, just visit HarvestNYC.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us at Harvest Christian Fellowship. Find directions, service times, and more information on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. And if you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. We're so glad you were able to spend this past half hour with us. Join us again for more from this verse-by-verse study in the book of Ephesians next time, right here on In My Father's House. Trouble I remember what you said